Good evening again, friends. It's been a while. So uh, we've been going through uh, 2 Timothy, yes? We're going to take a little break this week from 2 Timothy, and uh, we're going to venture into, well, we're just going to do something different, okay? Um, today, uh, well, let's just start off with some questions. A question. Small group, we can do it this way. I want you guys to tell me or think about, turn to your partner and say, like, the definition for what you think regeneration means in your best your best words. What do you think regeneration means? Tell a partner. So anyone next to you? Group of three, group of two. Find it. Three, two, one. All right. Settle down, class. Just kidding. Uh, who, who, anyone want to give their definition, what they think regeneration means? Cammy does. No one? Should I call on someone? Call on non-volunteers? Cammy, I heard you had a good one. To generate again, that is a good way to say it. That's good. Anyone else? You guys are a fun group. So to replenish, replenish itself, to make a, a new copy of the original, maybe, like that? I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to, huh? To regrow? Okay, great. Those are, those are great. Here's my, here's, well, my point I want to make tonight is that our words matter, right? Did you guys agree? Words matter? And the way we define words matter? And I think there's a lot of, and maybe we can relate to this in Christendom, where there's a lot of words that maybe become convoluted, and their meanings are maybe, you know, interpreted different ways, depending on who you talk about, especially when we get to some of the, you know, fringe groups of maybe people who believe a little different than us. So I think words really matter, especially considering that God gave us his word as the way to know him, right? How many of you heard this phrase before? Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Heard that quote? Anyone know who said it? At least who they quote is saying it. Did you read my notes before your answer? That's cheating. Uh, it was St. Francis Assisi. At least that's what they say. Not that it matters, but. Right. Uh, and this, is, this, is, this phrase basically is telling us that uh, our words are important to the advancement of the gospel, but our actions are more important, right? That's basically what he's saying. I, I think we can all agree with that, right? That our, to a degree that our actions are very important to the advancement of the gospel. How many people, how many think in your mind of people you know who their witness has been completely wrecked by the way they live their life, right? Maybe to you, maybe before you became a Christian or you're not a Christian and that's, you know, I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're trying it out again, right? But someone really hurt you or maybe, you know, you just seen people around you, whether you're Christian or not. But th- what, I would, what I would challenge though is that that's partially true. I don't think it's really fully true. I think that our words do matter. Um, and I think, if I could rephrase that, I would say, preach the gospel at all times, and if possible, use words. And use words correctly and definitionally. And that's what I kind of want to do tonight. I want to explore a word, a couple words, uh, a little spin on the um, word studies I do sometimes. I think that words matter, and I think that they reveal a lot about what the author meant. Okay? And the words I really want to look at tonight are uh, particularly regeneration. That is the title. But there's a lot of words that wrap around that that are similar used in scripture. 
And the point here is that right thinking precedes right living. You guys heard that one before? I really like that one. I think that's really important. If we're going to live right, we have to think right. If we want to obey the Bible, we got to know what the Bible really says. You know, if we're going to be able to preach the Bible to someone else, you got to really know what it, what it really says. If you want to really know something yourself, teach it to somebody else. You, know, you got to learn it. I really learned that being a teacher myself. If I want to really understand something, I, I got I mean, if I really want to understand it, I should, I should try to teach it to someone else. It may, I mean, it's, you're really bad at first, but that's why you really learn. So with that said, our words matter. And I mentioned this briefly already, but uh, there's no mistake, there's no coincidence why John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And jump to verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's, it's not a mistake. Jesus is the Word, right? We know that. And there's a reason why God principally revealed himself to us through words, in a physical copy of words, right? It's not a mistake. And not only is this how he principally has revealed himself, not that we can look in nature and we can see things about God, but this is principally how he's revealed himself. This is the way, the only way he revealed himself uh, in terms of the gospel. It's right here in words. So words matter. And there's a war of words, I think, if we look in culture right now. So I just want to explore this word. There's a lot of words we could explore. We can go forever exploring different biblical themes and words. But I want to just, let's just take a little slice of the pie. Regeneration or rebirth. I asked you guys what your definition was. And let's just go to what the biblical definition for these words are. There's a lot of places, and I say these words because there's lots of ways you could say that, right? I mean, rebirth, being born again, being regenerated. Think of all the scriptures you probably know, the buzz in your head. You've seen, you've heard those in different contexts, right? But they all generally mean the same thing. So let's look at a couple examples, okay? John 3.3, which is the main place we're going to be tonight, is the first one. I just want to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, because we're going to see a lot unpacked there for the, at least the first half of the message. And then we'll go to some different scripture throughout the night, okay? This is the, the we'll feed, see, see uh, the first of these words, and we'll define it, okay? In verse 3. Let's read the whole thing. John 3, verses 1 through 12. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you, you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So a lot going on here, right? We're not going to expound on this. It's not like we're going to spend a whole night. But there's a lot we can glean from this to launch into this. This whole concept of being born again is said many times throughout this whole scripture, right? And so the words that are used here to say born again, it's actually two words in John 3.3. 3, and it's, I'm going to butcher this. I'm going to try. 
uh, to say it anyway. It's Janao Anothen, which is basically, Janao is like the word for Genesis, which is like something being created to be started, if you will, to be born. That's one way we could say it. And Anothen is kind of like another. So another born, born another time. Does that make sense? Another place we're going to see tonight, we're going to go to Titus 3.3 in a little bit. You don't have to flip there now. You can, but we're going to go there more in in a little bit. But the word used there is the one we translate as as regeneration. But that word for that that is palagenesia, which is, again, you see the second half of that, genesia. I don't have it all typed up. You guys can look it up. Blue letter Bible. But Genesis, right? And palin is like a new. So a new origin, being origined again. And this this is what I want to draw from this. It's said many different ways throughout Scripture. You know, born again, made a new creature, regenerated, rebirth. But this is what it means. It means being remade from a new source. Being remade from a new source. It does not mean being reworked or upgraded. And I just want you to think for a second. Where have you heard this? Have you heard this anywhere else in culture? I, I can't think of a single place except for Christendom. This is really a, a, a key concept. I can't even think of it really, except for like the phoenix, you know, in, in Greek literature, which isn't really a true example either because the phoenix is just becoming another one, a version of itself. But that you have to be born again as something that's other than you, a new origin. It's not just becoming another one of me. It's that something about you is gone and you're a new version, a new blueprint. Does that make sense? This is a very, but this is a very, key central theme to scripture. So I think we, we need to understand it. Because if you're a Christian, you've been through this. It happened to you. If you are a Christian, it's still happening to you to a lesser degree in sanctification. And it really matters if we're defining this right. Okay, so that's what I want to explore tonight. And as an example, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Anyone remember when we went through Ephesians? Anyone here when we did that? Besides Brett, Brett was with me. Yeah, and Jordan, we're part of the team. Doesn't count. No, it counts. It counts. But remember, we went through that. So here's the, here's the dichotomy. That is like separating, looking at two different sides of things. We are not believers or Christians. If you're a Christian here tonight or you're someone who's not a Christian, I want you to listen to this. We are not a Christian because of putting on new habits. That's popular in Christian belief, is it not? Right? I go to church and Christer, right? Christmas and Easter. I and mean, we kind of make fun of them for that. But I mean, other ones, like maybe we, we uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've stopped cursing. Right? I'm donating to the church. I am uh, I'm very active in church activities, uh, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter how holy you think you are. It doesn't make you. You could be the Pope. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian, right? You could do the most, quote-unquote, holy things in all of human history, and that doesn't make you a Christian. It's not putting on new habits. It's not claiming a new identity as a Christian. How many people say they're Christians? It's, it's dropping now, right? For first, ever, Americans, like 80% were Christians. It's, it's a little harder to be that now, so it's dropping. But that doesn't make, we, knew that, we know that doesn't make people a Christian just because you claim to be. It's not because we conform to religious system. I, I struggle if I should use this example because I don't know if you guys even know him. I know Brett does because I've been talking about it. But there's, there's this guy who came to our church. His name's Sam Rotman. You guys ever heard of him? He's like a famous pianist. I don't know why he comes to my church. It's a tiny little church. But he knows my pastor. He's amazing. Like, like he's like said to be like the best at playing Beethoven in the whole world on the piano. 
and he's playing on my like my the same piano my mom plays like the hymns on in the morning. Like it just doesn't do it justice, you know. Like, but he's amazing. He's still like amazing. Like takes a breath out of the air kind of thing. He literally had a piece of like original artwork of someone like put the plaster on Beethoven's face to form his face so we know what he looked like. And then someone made a copy of that 50 years after Beethoven died, like who, who knows how long ago. And he literally owns that, probably millions of dollars. Someone gave it, or let him borrow it. Someone who bought the piece of artwork just so he could show it at his, his, um, at his shows. I'm saying all this because this guy, he gave his testimony that night. And it's still, I've heard it many times because I'm like, if he's coming to my church, like I'm going to be there. You know, He's amazing. It's a free concert and I get to hear this guy. But... Um, this guy was, tells his testimony, his testimony, like he was born in uh, like an Orthodox Jew. How many of us know somebody who's like super Orthodox? They're kind of weird. Maybe in Christ, Christian, like, like they do everything. I think like my family really tried to make us Orthodox. Like I was homeschooled, you know, we did everything right for the most part, but that didn't make me a Christian. Let's just say that. And this guy, he has a, in his testimony. He's like, I never drank. I never did drugs. I never had sex before marriage, all these things. And like, but I was broken on the inside. I had, you know, and I had all these bad habits and I had, I had this dirty heart and it came out in my mouth and it came out in my other activities. It didn't make me a Christian, even though I was like the religious Jew. I mean, you guys don't know who I'm talking about, but like you could maybe know somebody who's like that, right? That doesn't make you a Christian. So what the heck does? I think most of us maybe can allude to the answer. What then? What does the scripture say? We are believers, little Christ, because of one thing, guys. And what do you think it is? Because we've been reborn. And it has nothing to do with you. It's because you have been remade according to a new blueprint. And that's what Christ. And I think this matters for us, right? And so I want to explore that a little bit tonight. And I want to really look at John 3, 3. Or John 3, 1 through 12. But really that... Verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, because Nicodemus is like, he's kind of like a Sam Rotman. Like he is the Jewish leader of all of, I shouldn't say all of, but I mean, he was up there. I don't know if he was like the top. I haven't done that much research on him, but he was a leader in Israel, in the, in the Pharisees and Sadducees. And um, if anyone should have known what Jesus meant, it should have been Nicodemus, right? But, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is actually the first place where this whole idea of rebirth came about. Jesus is the first one to say it. Like, that's why everyone's a little confused, maybe. Because Jesus is the first one to say that in order for you to get to the kingdom of God, you have to be reborn. And I mean, we take it for granted because we grew up, most of us grew up in the church. Like, we hear that all the time. But that's a really weird thing to say, isn't it? Like, you have to literally be born again. I, I, you guys, most of you can't relate, but I, we just went through a birth. My wife, <laughs> it was hard enough, the first one. It was traumatic. We're like, this is, that's it, we're done. You know, one's enough. <laughs> but not really. We just, we got to take some time to heal a little bit, physically and emotionally. It was traumatic, and, it, and even, it, ours was a short one. But to be born again, I can see why Nicodemus was concerned, right? But if anyone should understand it, it should have been Nicodemus. Why? You guys ever heard of a mikvah? Some of you up here really OGs, you know what I'm talking about, because you remember, remember Sean talked about it. Right? Sean Ravista talked about it. A mikvah, a mikvah is basically like the ancient version of what we do in baptism today. So the, the ancient Jews were so, and they still are, so devout, and they really wanted to honor the Lord, that every single time they did anything of importance, they went into the temple, if they went to worship God, if even before the marriage and all these things, they had this ceremony they'd do. It's called the mikvah. When they would go into this, ceremonial pool and they'd step down into it and they would have to kind of it was kind of shallow water I guess I, 
I'm not that much research, but it, they, they couldn't stand up in it. They had to kind of curl down into it and they'd go underwater and that was how they would clean themselves before these events, before they'd even go before the Lord. How many of us take a shower before you come to church? Anyone guilty of doing I mean, they would every time. And this, this idea was they would go down in this position, like a fetal position, like the day they were born without sin. The idea was they were cleansing themselves of all the sin they had accumulated since last time they did it. There was just this cleansing of myself to go before the Lord. They were serious about it. Nicodemus was a spiritual leader. doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure if anyone did this, Nicodemus did it, and he did it a lot. He understood what that meant to go down and to be reborn in the sense of being made pure again because we are dirty and we are sinful creatures. Nicodemus, the, the, the Jews understood that. So if anyone should have understood what Christ meant when he said, you need to be reborn if you want to get to the kingdom of God, it should have been him. So why didn't he? That's my question. Like, and he had, a, he asked, he kept asking Jesus, like, what do you mean? And Jesus is like, you got to be born again to get to the kingdom of God. He's like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, I just told you. Truly, truly, I said, you know, Jesus got frustrated. I, I, I can imagine this probably would have been another time, but he didn't, you know, he was sinless, right? But man, come on, you should know. And he literally was just like, if anyone should know, Nicodemus, you should know what this means. So I have three points for you guys tonight based on what, like, so we don't be like Nicodemus, okay? Three points. My first point is regeneration implies that we fell from something. We have to be regenerated, right? Re, like we have to go back to something. So I'm going to explore that. And where do we go to find out our beginnings? Always. Genesis, right? I'm not going to go too deep. We know the story. Genesis 1, what does it tell us about our origin, about our creation, about our state before God when we were created? We were, what did Jesus say? What did you, oh, yeah, what did God, Jesus say about us? He said we are very good, right? We were created good in the beginning, but something happened, right? Two chapters later, didn't take very long. Shortly after, we fell from that state. So we see this dichotomy of the old man and the new man. Old woman, new woman, right? Old Adam, new Adam. And so I have two places I want to go to, to show this contrast. And if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced these. You know the old man. You know who you used to be, an old woman. You know who God's making you, right? Let's explore these. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 12 is the first one. You guys can flip there if you want. I'm going to read it. But it says, and, and let me, before I read it, let me just say, there's two things here. I want you to notice the old man and notice the new man. That we have to re, be reborn. That old man has to, something has to happen to that old man before I can become the new man. Okay? Colossians 2, 11 through 12, it says, In him also, this one's for Jordan. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's break it down as much as we can. Not too much. Okay, the whole idea of circumcision, we understand that, right? But I want to look at the circumcision of the heart, which he's talking about here. The point is something has to be cut away from you. You're not good enough on your own. Have you guys heard that? Like... Even Christians, like, I'm celebrating myself. And I just have, I mean, I get that we should be like, not have a negative self-image, right? But it's something weird about, like, I'm celebrating, like, my body, you know? Because God made me, and I'm beautiful. 
Like, yes, but we're also broken. There's something wrong with us. It's weird if you know, I'm flashing my body on Instagram, be like, I'm celebrating myself because I'm a Christian. Like, there's, there's something wrong with that, you know? Not that guys aren't, you know, obviously this is a girl doing this, but I, got, I, can't, I can't imagine a guy doing That'd be weird. I wouldn't do that. But I mean, <laughs> guys have their own problems, right? But the point is, like, are we, what are we celebrating about ourselves? This is going to be a part of my, like, what is something about my identity that I'm like, God made me this way, you know? Maybe, but maybe there's something broken about me. That's a, that's a, that was my question. I couldn't really quite put my finger on it. I didn't mean to put, I didn't put that in my notes, but I'm just, there's something broken about us, right? Something, throughout all scripture, when you read about the old man, there's something like needs to be cut out and thrown away, right? Something needs to be circumcised. And that's like, a, that's not a pretty picture. It's not supposed to be. There's something really broken about me and it's still there, unfortunately. I'm not done yet. Right? And I'm just not sure I'm ready to celebrate it yet. Because there's something like, I just, I don't even like it. It's in me. You know? You guys know what I'm talking about? If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. It's got to be cut out. Something needs to die. And having been buried with him, that's in, with Christ, in baptism, which baptism is like the perfect illustration of something needs to die for something to live. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, so we're raised back through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Titus 3.3, which I mentioned earlier, this is where we actually see the, the regeneration word, palagenesia. Titus 3.3, well, 3 through 6. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish. He's talking to the church here. Of, you know, well, I don't know. Where, where's Titus again? I, what church? I never really went that far. But he's talking to Titus, talking to the church, right? forget what Titus was, honestly. No, no lie. But we ourselves, us the church, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. If you guys are like me, you think like, that sounds like me. Does that sound like you? It sounds like me sometimes. Like, if I'm really honest, that's a lot of that sounds like me. The parts of me I don't really like to look at. The parts of me that I like to bury and I don't want to really circumcise, but they need to be cut out of my life. I can be pretty foolish. Ask my wife. I can be very disobedient. I'm easily led astray, especially by my frustration and anger of things, right? I'm slave to all kinds of passions in my life. Like, I know I shouldn't eat it, but I want it, right? I mean, we always joke about food, but there's lots more serious things that we're slave to. But, verse 4, but... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the point again is, regeneration, the whole idea implies that there's something that we fell from, and that we, we are, of course, are fallen, right? That's what I'm getting at. There's something broken about us. We shouldn't be celebrating that. I mean, that's what we should, like we are creating the image of God, but there's something broken about me, and I need to. I, there's something wrong. God's trying to work on that. Okay. Number two, point two is we have an acute need to be regenerated. If you've been following along with point one, that's like obvious. Like if there's something dead in me, I need that to be gone, and I want to be made anew. Right? I need to be made anew. And Ephesians is a good place to go with that. Ephesians 4. Sorry, I'm jumping around a lot because there's so many. We could just focus on any one of these, but there's so many examples. And I'm trying to show it's always the same message. 
It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to be charitable. It's not enough for those things. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 says, Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So he's talking to the church, talking about pagans who they're living with, right? We all came from pagans somewhere, right? We're all Gentiles. all came from pagan. We are pagans before the Lord. So how do we walk? We walked in the futility of our minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Sounds like me. Pretty ignorant. Due to the hardness of their hearts, they have become callous and have been given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But here's how, but here's this, here's the new man. Okay. But this is not the way you learn Christ church. Assuming that you have heard about him and we're taught in him. So assuming you are a believer, you have heard the good news. You have heard about him. We're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here's the clincher 23 and 24 and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So clearly, according to scripture, we have a need. And I know I do. I'm, I assume you can feel that too. But what does culture say about this? Because I, I, I find this really interesting because you know most things on Christ, Christianity and culture like disagree, right? But I think this is one thing, one big thing that culture agrees on is there's something wrong with us. I don't know anyone you talk out in the culture like, no, we're great. Like everyone's like, there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong with culture, right? And everyone's trying to fix it. We just have different modes and methods and ways we think we need to fix it, right? You talk to anyone, any politician, I mean, they, they, they get paid based on problems that they're supposedly fixing, right? Anyone out in culture, like, there's a problem. We got to fix it. What is culture's solutions to our problems? What do they say we need to do to fix ourselves? Any ideas? Say what? Okay, that's true. I got to love myself. I didn't even have that one in there, but that's good. I got to love myself, and that, that'll fix all my problems about hating myself. I hate myself, but if I love myself, that'll fix my problems, right? It's kind of funny. I need to overcompensate. That was not what I had in my notes, but that's really good. What else? Stimmies? Stimmies? Yeah, we need stimmies. Social programs. I had that one. This is what I had. I had three things that really came to my mind, because I'm a teacher. So the first one is like, it always comes to my mind first. Education. You guys heard this? If you just educate yourself, you won't be dumb. You won't do those things anymore. My dad works in a prison. He sees this firsthand. If we just educate these guys, they will start, stop doing evil things. They don't need an education. They need reform. They need to be regenerated, just like me and you. And I, I work in public school. It's not much different. They're just little, little incarcerated people, right? I'm a public high school employee. And, and I can't tell you how frustrating it is for me as a Christian when I look at these programs and I'm like, we just need to, you just need to educate these kids. Or, or like, oh, they're failing their class because they didn't do anything. We just, we got we to find a way to push them through. Because if they fail, like, they're not going to have anything in life. If you push them through, they're not going to have anything in life, right? Like, you're not helping these kids. You're not helping them. You know, it's just, I, I can't get into it. I got to stop. You get the point, right? If we just, if people just have that diploma, their life is going to be better. Education, because we're really just not smart enough. That's why, that's why we're dumb and do dumb things and problems are in society. Number two is, that I see is we need more social programs. You brought that up. Who, who's that, Sarah? Yeah. Stimmies, right, okay. This <laughs> met generator. Yeah, we just gotta do all these different social programs. We just gotta try a new one. That one didn't work, we're gonna try a new one. We just need to throw more money at it. That's, throw money at our problems and they'll disappear. I, 
It just doesn't work, right? Number three is we gotta have more like state funded, this kind of goes social programs, but like reprogramming of the way we, we think and do things. This isn't a popular opinion, but like all these critical theories out there, right? Critical sex theories, critical race theories, like this is not biblical, certainly. It doesn't even make sense. But if we just all can get on the same page, it'll work. It'll fix our problems, right? All these, I mean, it just doesn't make sense anymore. This culture is just trying to fix the void through anything. But what, God, what does God's word say? What does God's word say our only hope is to fix our problem? It's really quite simple. And don't say Jesus, come on. Because you're smarter than that. According to everything we read tonight, we need to be reborn, which implies we need to die and something needs to be made new in us, a new blueprint. It just needs to be, we need Christ. Honestly, we do need Jesus. So you wouldn't have been wrong. The Sunday school answer is Jesus. We need, our only hope is to be born again, to be remade in the image of Christ instead of broken humanity. And this is like obvious, right? We all grew up in church. We're all like, I know this, Ethan. Shoot, but when I think of this, I'm like, I, what does it really mean to be made new then? How does that, how, I want that. I know I'm a new creation in Christ, but sometimes I don't feel like it. And right thinking precedes right living. So let's define what rebirth really looks like in Scripture. Because number one, there's a one-time act that happens when you're a Christian. You become reborn, right? There, once you're saved, let me just dispel any doubt you may have. It's over. You can't get out of it. You're locked in. Sorry. There's no revoking. Because, like... <laughs> There's nothing else in culture that really works that way, right? Can you, you can like, I, I, I'm done. I don't want my membership anymore, except for the union. I can't get out of the union for my life. They lock me in. You guys, if you guys don't have a job, you don't know about the union, but it will not let you out. But Jesus, even more than the union, Jesus will not let you out. You're in. It's over. You've been reborn. You have his identity. It's over. That's good news, right? But there's this continual renewing. Renew your minds. Be ye renewed, right? Be continually renewed. This is sanctification, right? This is an ongoing process for us. There should be a continual renewal that goes on in our lives, right? So this is my final point. Because we understand, I think we understand what it means, right? But for me, I'm thinking, how do I do that? Because I've been, I've been reborn. I'm a Christian, thank God. <laughs> but nothing, and you've noticed, you've been following along, this wasn't a major point, but it had nothing to do with what you or I did, right? Didn't, like, any of those examples, go back to any of those three, Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, we were all these horrible things. And then what happened? We woke up, someone handed me a Bible, and I read it, and I was like, yes, that's what I've been looking for. No, what happened? Let's read it. But, uh, in Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism, like, I died. <laughs> You didn't fix anything if you died, right? You just died. Titus, but, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he appeared in your life, then things got better, right? In Ephesians, verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put off the new self, and this is talking about sanctification. There's a little bit of our effort there, but this, the point is, we were dead. Nothing we did. 
I didn't do anything to get that first regeneration. God just was good to me. And the example, let me just give this last example, and then I'll, I'll go to my last point, which is really just my closing. And that, when, in salvation, guys, I think the best illustration I've understood and I've heard is that I think a lot of times we like to understand Christianity as like, or, or me being saved, is I was out in the ocean, and I was drowning, right? And God threw me a life preserver, and I grasped onto it, and he dragged me to shore. Sounds beautiful, right? That's not accurate. In reality, you and I were at the bottom of the ocean, dead dry bones. We, we could not help ourselves. We couldn't even grab onto life. He had to come in, reform us. That's what rebirth is, regeneration. Bring us to the surface and breathe new life into us to give us the ability to have faith and to trust him. Read it anywhere in scripture. There's nothing there that says like, you grasp on and you believe, you know. God was so good. He gave me new life. That's what happened to me. That's what made me a believer. But now, how do I walk in that? So I, I'm not going to assume anyone, anything here. Maybe there's a lot of us here who have never made that step. You've never fallen to your, that's your step is fall to your knees. Stop stepping and just trust in the Lord and surrender. And I'm going to go back to Sam Rotman just for a minute. Because his testimony was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. His prayer, giving his life to the Lord. This is what he said. He said, when I, when I read the New Testament, because I'd never read before. He was a Jew. He, like, that was taboo. You don't read the New Testament. You don't need that. So he gave, someone in his school gave it to him, and he read it, front to, to cover. And he, he was a famous pianist, like, or he was, he was on his way. He practiced 10 hours a day on the piano every day. Not a minute less, not a minute more. Every, maybe more, but never a minute less. 10 hours a day. You could do anything for 10 hours a day. I can't handle that. You know, I have 10 hours total on the instrument I've tried like my whole life. Like, I can't do 10 hours a day. That's incredible. But he said when he got that New Testament, he started reading it, everything in his life stopped. That's all he did. And he said that when he understood, he, this is what he, his prayer. It was super simple. He said he looked to heaven. He said, hello, my name's Sam Rotman. Like God didn't know. And like he didn't know God knew. He's a, he, he was a Jew. You know, he was trained. And he knew the Torah front and his backwards. But he said, I, my name is Sam Rotman. And I believe you are who you say you are. And this is the last part is really, I, I think it's so beautiful. He said, I want you to tell me what to do. And I will never tell you what to do. And how many of us tell, tell, tell God what to do in our lives? I thought that was the most beautiful, simple gospel ever. So here's, I don't want to assume any of us have done that. Maybe you haven't. So there's two groups. There's unbelievers and there's believers here tonight, I'm assuming. I just want to speak to the unbelievers first. The solution to your problem, let's be honest, you have problems. I got problems. If you don't think you have problems, come talk to me. I'll give you some personal examples, and I think you will relate. You got problems. The solution to your problems is clear. Scripture is absolutely clear. The new life comes only one source, and that is in Christ. And it's not by you thinking and believing that he is you know, a God. He's, he's a God, and he's out there, and he loves you, and he has a good plan for you, and he wants to make you happy and healthy and rich. That's not, what God, that's not what Scripture says. It says, here, here's an example, John 10.10, 10, I come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Not that you have more abundant riches or health, but you may have life. And what is life? Eternal life. That you may be made anew. And we just saw that all tonight with Scripture. And you won't, that's your only solution, guys. It's your only solution. Your only hope for your life. Nothing else is going to work. And nothing else is going to give you satisfaction and joy. Try it. Try it. 
and for those of you who are Christians, you know, you know, you you can relate to this. Is that of all the things I've done in my life, and I haven't done a lot, you know, but of all the accomplishments I've made, nothing compares to that one moment where I gave my life to Christ and what's come from that. I'll do it. I'll give it all up. Now, see any Christian in here that would say the same. Believers, unbelievers, don't leave tonight until you've done that. Don't seal your heart off yet again another time. Speak to someone about it. There's many here who would love to do that. But believers, if you are a believer, what does this mean for you and me? I have three things. And it starts off with this verse. Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world. We just went through Romans, right? You guys remember this? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's that word. That's another word, another version, like being made new, into a new version, a new being, not remade into your old self. Be transformed. That's into something else, right? By how? What's the means of me being transformed? Does anyone know the next part of the verse? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's three things. This isn't original to me, but I think this is very helpful. I found this in the past. What God uses to work in our lives and to sanctify us, make us renewed day by day. There's three things that God uses. Number one, God's word. If you aren't reading God's word, guys, you can't be surprised that things aren't going well in your life, Christian. But you can't be surprised. I was, this is slightly off topic, but I was listening to a pastor speak to other pastors about how to be a pastor. I'm not a pastor, so I thought, still found it interesting. And he was talking about how he does counseling. And he says he gets all these young couples coming to him and all these problems. And he, he's gotten to the point, he's like, I'm so overwhelmed by it. I just come to the point now where I ask him right off the bat, are you guys reading God's word and praying together regularly? If you're not, stop coming to me. Stop bugging me. You're wasting your time, wasting my time. If you're not doing the, the ordinary means of grace that God's given us, you're wasting your time. It's not going to work. And I'm going to say, I mean, whether you're married or not, like, are you exercising the ordinary means of grace in God's word? Are you reading it and digesting it and understanding it and applying it? And there's no surprise that we're not be looking like a new creature and we're not enjoying that relationship. There's no mistake that God gave us a book with words to tell us about him. We need to read it. Number two is God's people. Who are you hanging out with? Again, I work with high schoolers. So the phrase is, Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? You guys remember that? The same, like, who are you spending time with? Who are you investing your friendships with? Is it, are there people who are leading you to Christ? Or are they people who are leading you to anything else? Because we can justify in our minds, well, oh, they're Christian too, but like, do they look like a Christian? Maybe they are, but they need, they need some, you guys both need somebody else who can bring you along, right? Are you, are you spending time with God's people who are also reading God's word? And lastly, prayer. We all suck at this, right? We all could get better at a prayer life. But are you meeting with the Lord? Are you communing with him? And, and I find, I'm, as I get older and the more I try to do this and try to be successful at prayer and like really meet with the Lord, it's less about me talking. It's more just me listening to him and his proddings in my life. That makes sense? The old man still lurks in our bodies. He's still there, our old woman. Little old woman, little old man, still living in us. Still dying, still dragging us away, right? Kind of like a, a root canal, right? They leave that dead tooth in there and it slowly just leaks into your system. At least that's what they're finding now, right? You guys heard that? Sorry for a root canal. Look into it. It's still leaking into your system. That dead man is still poisoning you. You've got to cut it out. 
It's okay to look toothless. Get a fake version. It still looks in our body. We must continue to put it off. Put it off. And this side of glory, we're never going to be fully rid of it. And there's three ways that God really gives us to do that. Three obvious ways. God's word, God's people, and prayer. So I, I hope this isn't too harsh. I know I come off that way. So I hope it's an encouragement, Christian. Like, Because I know about you, but like, I want to be like that. Sometimes I just feel like I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. But I find when I'm just reading God's word, I'm just being faithful just to get into it and just try to apply it, that God is so faithful and he will meet you there. And I'm seeking just going to him in, in prayer in my, my darkest, my good times, my low times. Like, he's faithful. He answers. I'm spending time with God's people. He will bring the right person to me when I need it to encourage me, to challenge me. He'll hold me accountable. And I think if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a believer, you're, you don't have that. And that sucks. You could have that. Trust in the Lord. And lean on your own understanding. And he will make your path straight. So with that, I want to close with just, I want to pray, but I, wanted you, I really want to challenge you tonight. Don't leave here until you know. Find someone you trust. If you're a believer, you can also find someone you trust and meet with them. That's, that was on the second point, right? Meet with them. Talk with them. And let's do this together. I would love to talk to you. If that's something you'd wish. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to have trivia, right? And then worship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for just the chance. Honestly, Lord, just come together again and, and to meet in person and to, to worship you because you are you really are worthy, Father. And we kind of get so distracted by all this other stuff. And also, we get so distracted with our own spiritual improvement that we forget that you are the reason. You are worthy. Now, Lord, when we put you on the throne, all these other problems shrink in their pop- proper perspective in our lives. I pray, Father, that we would never forget to keep you on the throne where you belong, Father, and that we would step into this life of being regenerated, being made anew in the likeness of Christ, that we could be like that, and that we could be an example to the world around us that is dying, that is dead, not dying, that is dead, absolutely dead, Father. It needs to be renewed. May you be honored and glorified in our lives and tonight in our worship as we close. Father, we pray all this in Christ's name.